That's my favorite thing ever is not really knowing what I'm getting myself into. It goes back to that old riddle or conundrum like the Sphinx's riddle. Of, would you like to see the rest of your life? Would you like to have high definition imagery of what is going to happen to you? It's like never. I would never want that. I love stuff that takes a really long time to do and that I don't know what the end looks like. Hello, my lovely listeners. What is up? And welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets up deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. All right, you might be thinking, what is this new intro? Has James been drinking or what? The fact is, I have not been drinking. I'm just really excited to present to you episode 106 with Sam, aka Ristic Studies. I'm excited to even record this intro because I think Sam is just a wonderful human being. This is actually the second time that we sat down to have a conversation. And what's really nice about this is that I felt like the first time we had a pretty solid conversation. You can go back and listen to that one if you like. But this time we sort of reached this new level of dialogue and man, I just really enjoyed it. I just really enjoyed it. There's not really much I can summarize this as than just Sam is a pleasure. He's a delight. He is just a creative mind. And it's just really nice to sit down with a fellow content creator and just talk. Just talk about creativity, content creation, content creator economy, him going full time. Harry Audash's new goals for Sam, his favorite magic writer of all time, and just making a ton of analogies as we tend to do. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for you, dear listener, to listen to this episode. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it gets deep in some places. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think. It's uh, Humans of Magic with Sam of Ristic Studies, part two. I would love to get your support on Humans of Magic, the project. So if you have not had the chance, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Both accounts can be found at Humans of Magic, one word. We also have a new Patreon, patreon.com slash humans of magic. If you want to join our exclusive Discord community, you want me to help review your podcast or content, happy to do that through the Discord and the Patreon. I have switched to a weekly release format. So Humans of Magic is always going to be free, it's always going to be a labor of love, but the Patreon is going to go a long way to cover the additional intensity of the workload. And I'm really happy to do weekly episodes. I want to get more Humans of Magic content out, so your support is always appreciated. The phenomenal music you hear in this episode and every episode of Humans of Magic is supplied by Kupla. That's spelled K-U-P-L-A. Kupla is an absolutely fantastic musician. He's a magic player, and you can find all of his music on all the streaming platforms, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter as well, Kupla Sound, and uh, tell him Humans and Magic said hi.
Sam, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Um, I'm very happy to be back speaking with you, James. Uh, our last conversation a few years ago was very memorable memorable for me. So um, I'm honored that you invited me back. I'm excited to see what we uh, we will get into this time. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for inviting me. Not a problem at all. You're... So here's the thing, right? Today, I was I went for a jog before this recording. And I tried to listen to our interview from, I think it was January 2021. And I have to be really honest here. I might have psyched myself a little bit in the the sense of, I think I was a pretty, I don't want to say bad interviewer, but like I thought that I was overly stiff a year ago. And maybe it's just some stuff has happened in my life that it's caused me to be less stiff. And but I but I I felt like the interview went really well that time. Even listening to it again, I felt like it went really well. We had a kind of like flow going or groove going. But I'm also sort of fearful that I might not be able to top it. Now, obviously, it's like it's such a stupid thing to to say because it's kind of like because we were talking about music last time. It's kind of like a performance in a way, like doing a podcast that's oh, semi live. Yeah. And you just don't know sometimes if it's going to register that day, like, cause it's mm-hmm. not like a video or, or a, a, a studio recording where you can just like do, you know, 30 takes. Right. So it's so crazy to say, but I have, I, I, I felt a little fearful come into this. I have no idea why. So. You know, that's, it's very normal to go back to your old work and be really critical. I think that's a, that's a common occurrence. Like there's, something in me i know this is common for anyone who does creative work like i once i'm done with a project it's really hard for me to go back i'll I'll sit and watch a video 40 50 60 times as i'm making it uh but once i publish it i watch it probably twice and then never again and maybe i said that last time but there is a sense of like completion and um you know the you know one of my little catchphrases is the process is the point and uh once i'm gone through the process then that's it you know let's go through another process so um so i think you're on the right track if you're looking back at your old work in a sense and feeling <laughs> feeling afraid or or critical or that sense of like you have to keep leveling up or raising the bar is also kind of a a little bit of a nagging voice anytime you're in the creative field um, because you know you want to find your ceilings and your limits but you also want to keep growing and it's it's also very scary to think like oh maybe I've peaked or whatever but it's usually not the case you're just changing form really so, um, so don't <laughs> worry I think I think we're gonna have a good conversation like last yeah time. yeah yeah I that's really fascinating so you don't actually revisit your your work like or you it's sort of like once it's public it sounds like you just kind of close the, the door or close the book on it and just kind of like, I got to move on to the next project, right? Yeah, I think last time we discussed um, how the worst part of the video making is is towards the end once I can see it finished and I don't have any questions about what it'll look like from the video editing perspective. That's when I become almost bored of it, like almost like it's done. Um, part of the mystery and intrigue of creative work is is like is it is is motivating because you want to see the ends of this idea or this seed that you've planted and once i see the dish in front of me if you will or or whatever have you like that's when i am ready to plant a new seed and start a new you know start cooking a new dish 
So, um, so yeah, so once it's like out there, it also doesn't belong to me anymore. I can't, I can't modify it. It doesn't, um, it's not, it's not my thing anymore, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and it's up to the people to do, to do what it, what they want with it and, and to, to react with it and to treat it and to, you know, it, it's not mine anymore. So that's, uh, that's when I let go of the reins and just start something new. Right. That's when we no longer have control. Basically it's, it's yeah. out there. Uh, people will engage or interact or judge or uh, make assumptions about you as a creator. Just, just, it's all out there, right? Like, it, you know, then you get the video essays about heuristic studies and the critiques and all that fun stuff, right? Luckily, there's been no backlash or anything like that, at least as far as I know and I've seen. Um, who knows if it's out there, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I get some, you know, some pushback here and there on Twitter, but so far so good in terms of like a defamation of sorts. Uh, not a lot of people <laughs> going out of their way to like throw stones at me or tomatoes. So um, I'm yeah. still sitting kind of in a nice spot for sure. That's that's good. That's good. That's also interesting because uh, I know that as creators, we the marketing, right? I mean, I think I think in a lot of ways, the primary thing that you do, which is create these wonderful videos on YouTube, YouTube, the algorithm does a lot of the marketing because you have a you have a base and you know it, it will find people. But there's also things like, you know, you gotta fire off some tweets, talk about it, retweet some good feedback, that whole the the flood of, you know, put something out there, uh, promote it. Uh, that whole thing too is also really interesting because I think it's akin to like we were talking about filmmaking last time. It's kind of akin to like working on something for and just killing yourself making the movie, right? But then you have to go on a kind of our version of the press junket where you have to talk about it. You have to tweet it and you have to retweet it and you have to engage with people. So is that part okay for you? Does it feel like an obligation? How does that part feel like? Because it's it's a very kind of out of body experience after the the product or the the project is done, right? Yeah, it's it is part of it's a phase, and it is true that um, something I tell my girlfriend often is like everything is marketing. There's no sense of uh, a distinct delineation anymore. Um, my my like Thursday do nothing tweet is marketing in a sense. It's it's. It's an indirect way to communicate with folks who may be interested in something I make. There's obviously like the, the the lights on marketing that happens, like you were saying, when I finish a video and I have to go through those rotations of of retweeting and and publicizing and promoting. But um, but everything kind of boils down to this concept that like everything you do and say on the internet becomes part of your overall persona and, and entity, and through a certain lens all of it is marketing even the most innocuous stuff even the even the like selfie i'll take on instagram on a thursday just walking around is marketing uh because it could lead back to one of your potential like products if you want to use the business terms um but this is also kind of why i'm always like picking at that bone of like content creator i just i've, I've never really liked that title because <clears throat> mm -hmm. one I think it's a misnomer and two, I think it's really diminishing of everyone's efforts uh, because there are so many jobs that you do uh, in this space. 
-hmm. So part of this job is like social media manager slash marketing, you know, like that mm -hmm. you don't think of it that way, but it really is those skills and like being able to communicate with a mass audience and being effective at that is like big businesses are paying tons of money to people and people are specializing in that and studying it. And some folks just have it. And, you know, when you're reductive and you call someone a content creator, um, like I said, it's a misnomer because I always want folks to embrace like what specifically they make. And the analogy I always go back to is like, uh, is like a peanut butter and, and jelly sandwich. Um, if your mom makes you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, she didn't make you content. <laughs> the content, <laughs> you know, the content of your sandwich is peanut butter and jelly. Like that's what's actually inside the sandwich. But she, she is a cook for all intents and purposes. You know, she's a chef and um, she made you a sandwich and she, 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 the, the product is the sandwich and she is a chef in this right. analogy, right? right? She's not a content creator. So, so anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of not so much a high horse, but I just really, I don't even think that's a good name. And two, I, I really think it reduces folks efforts into, into like something that feels so sterile and ugly and uncreative. And it's the mm -hmm. opposite of what all these people are, you know, yeah. content creators aren't like, they're not little machines pushing papers through stuff. Like they're making really awesome videos or podcasts or, yeah. or articles or whatever have you. And I want people to like really embrace that so um so yeah so you know marketing is again part of that huge umbrella of the responsibility uh in this space yeah yeah i always think of it that way too so i'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of ryan holiday at all um he's written quite a number of books on uh i think he's best known for his books on stoicism but he also had a really good book called perennial seller which i i've read a couple times which is really about that it's basically like the art of marketing and just trying to be uh how to say it like you basically should be thinking about the marketing process the whole way as you're building the work and it's very hard typically for artists to think about that or they feel like they they should off almost like delegate it or offshore it to somebody else but that doesn't that's never authentic so it's like people <laughs> this is so this is so interesting to me because I'm trying to learn this stuff too. And at the end of the day, people watch the video because it's, it's a magic video. It gives them something fresh, but they're also watching the video because of you. They're watching the video because of your voice and who you are. And that can never be discounted. And I feel like it's the people that don't quite get it, that try to put quotation marks around marketing and try to give it a bad reputation of some sort so it's so I, i'm totally with you man i'm totally with you on that wavelength but it's just really it it's almost like it at least i can't speak for you but it's almost like it feels embarrassing for me to even talk about it that way but i know that's kind of like the way things are because i think the way the world is is that you like what's the what's the old saying like uh don't hate the player, hate the game, right? So if that's the way things need to be for you to get your audience, then so be it. So don't apologize for that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that that phrase, I push back a little bit because, uh, you know, I got into not a, not an argument, but we were not even heated. We were just discussing um, 
this ecosystem we find ourselves in. I was hanging out with Prof and Spice 8 Rec in Portland. I was at uh, Prof's place a month ago doing videos for his channel. And uh, I, I, I brought up that fa uh, that phrase, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. In in Sometimes I get in trouble, again, kind of like throwing stones at YouTube and throwing stones at this whole creator ecosystem. I I, I, I do it out of a sense of care and love and like almost... Right. I feel a little territorial of the space. Like I want it to be really good. And I hate when folks uh, come in and, and ruin it and reduce it and turn it into just like content, if you want to use that word again, mm -hmm. but um, like we a content about, factory, right? Yeah. 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 You know, and just like mindless, like noise in the backgrounds. Like I have always wanted it to be better than that in all forms, not just magic, you know? Um, but we were talking, I was talking about don't hate the player, hit the game. And I said, no, I hate the player and I hate the game. I hate the <laughs> game because it's stacked against the player and I hate the player for not making the game better, <laughs> you know? So yeah. if you play into the game, sure, you can, you can do the gimmicks. You can, uh, you can follow like the trends and the algorithm and, and play, play the meta game of YouTube, if you will. And, and sometimes I get really curious. I'm like, I wonder if this is stuff I think about on my run sometimes. I'm like, I wonder if I could theoretically just do the YouTube thing on another channel and I wonder how fast it would take for me to get to 100K subs. If I did the like stereotypical, like every single upload every day, do a do a thumbnail mm -hmm. with an arrow, do a clickbait title, do like that, you know, that whole thing. Um, I wonder if it would catch on uh, and it might be, it might be silly to say that I would have success. Maybe I'm taking for granted that part, but like yeah. that's the elements of the game that I want to change, you know, because I don't think it's really serving anyone any, 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 I don't think it's serving anyone well. So right. uh, audience or creator. So, um, so yeah, yeah, anyway, that's another tangent. Sometimes I get excited and angry about this kind of stuff. But no, no, again, it's, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's fun to talk about that stuff because let's say that there was a Ristic Studies TikTok, right? And you just made 30 second shorts of you dancing to, I don't know, Red Deck Winds or something, or just, just playing Red Deck Winds, or just, just even taking like uh, clips from your videos and just put it all on TikTok, right? Uh, maybe you'll get to like a million TikTok subs. Like, um, by the way, it's so crushing. I, I, I looked into TikTok recently. I tried to watch YouTube videos on how to grow on TikTok and I took some notes and they say stuff like, yeah, you can grow on TikTok. Just do like four to six videos a day or something and do it for a month oh and you'll get God. And I'm just like, I just, I just can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. I mean, maybe I could hire someone to do it, but I just, I don't know. I think it would just hurt my soul somehow like to do yes. that. And, yes. and it's just like, for what? Oh, so I guess maybe you could justify it by like, okay, I have a million TikTok followers now. So now I can push them towards or nudge them towards my long form podcast or long form video. Okay, sure. Okay. Then maybe like 1% of the people will go there and the other 99% will keep watching my 30 second TikToks of James dancing. And I'm not really <laughs> sure if that's what I want. So it's kind of like, it's, it's this whole machine that we have to consider, right? Yeah. I, I'm glad that you're in tune with what you want because some folks forget about that part of the exchange. They they see the steps, they see the infrastructure, they see the monetary value, they see the fame and fortune, blah, blah, blah. But then like at the end of the day, what if you just hate all of that? Like you hate mm -hmm. the process, you hate the work, you hate the 
I, I'm glad also to hear that other folks are setting boundaries for themselves. Like, I just don't want to be on TikTok. So I'm not on TikTok, even though theoretically I should be for X, Y, Z reasons because it's marketing, because it could draw a new audience, because it could make me another 500 bucks a month, whatever. Uh, like, but also I could just go outside and go for a run instead, you know, and I want to <laughs> do that. That's what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to, you don't want to crush yourself and destroy your soul and like just always keep yourself in consideration too. I think it's also really, sometimes I question myself because I, I think you are, and I, I, I can't say for sure. You can tell me if you are, but I feel like I'm always online. Uh, I, there's a, there's a term for this, right? Just always terminally being online. And yeah. I'm starting to basically realize this month, I need to set boundaries on that. I need to basically, I've actually have a, a Twitter blocker on my, on my desktop now where like I will turn it on if I need to work on other things or if I'm doing editing. Uh, I try to move my Twitter app to page eight of my phone. That's it's, it's kind of working to a limited extent, but I, I, I'm wondering if you feel the need to be always online or if you have also tried to come up with ways to set boundaries for yourself, if you feel that's necessary. Luckily, I haven't fallen. Um, I haven't. My relationship with like social media and being online has always been kind of healthy in part because I feel like I grew up with the platforms. Um, I'm maybe part of the last generation that there was a delineation in my life and my memory before and after the internet. So like I also came up with these platforms and I've seen how they can be really addicting and really destructive for your, for your wellness. Um, I will say for sure that my favorite parts when I feel happiest and most complete and at my best is usually when I'm not staring at a screen all day. My job right now has me staring at screens all the, all the time, but, um, you know, especially for vacations or breaks or whatever, um, the more time I'm away from a screen, usually that translates into like just a better, like feeling of being centered. So I, I admire folks and I, I absolutely support people that put more stop gaps in, in the daily life to, to like limit that. I know like, um, a quick, a quick example from a few months ago, I know Casey Neistat bought like a flip phone because he was sick of just feeling like he should always be interacting with the world uh, through mm -hmm. his phone. Mm -hmm. And um, even small tricks like uh, setting your phone to grayscale helps mm -hmm. uh, reduce that that screen time. Um, but at least for now, I, I haven't felt, I feel like especially on Twitter, uh, I don't really, I don't feel like bound to Twitter in any way. I think I felt, I felt lucky in that people expect me to come in and out once a day. Maybe they don't expect much of me on that platform, similar to YouTube. Like I don't feel bound to what people normally expect on YouTube. And I consider myself fortunate for that. But I think it was also because early on I set this, like I set that system up for myself. Like I set those boundaries up for myself. Um, and again, this is kind of going back to what we were talking about. Like if you want to make stuff, you set your terms. I promise you, you don't have to find, you don't have to like do the top 10 things to be successful on YouTube. Like you set your terms and if it works, it'll work and people will respect that. So, um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't have too many troubles with Twitter except for like at a certain point, it actually like does become a little bit 
it's not the Twitter it used to be um, mm. because of maybe the, the amount of folks that I follow or the size of my platform now. Um, mm. I know Josh Lee Kweiss struggled with this like two years ago. He just, there was a moment where like Twitter stopped being fun and useful and it just became like a huge burden on him. So um, I hate that because Twitter used to be like, it used to feel like I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends. Um, and now it's, it's, a, it's a lot less than that. Um, but at the moment, I don't feel like I have to like, uh, put myself in jail of sorts, you know, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah, that didn't, that delineation is key. Um, I, I don't actually, I don't actually know your age. I assume you're younger than I am. You have to be younger than I am, right? Because everybody is, uh, but, <laughs> but I do remember like, you know, when I, when I went through college university, I did not ha even have a laptop. I did not even have uh i had a flip phone and that was pretty much it so i didn't need to be online i did my undergrad just not even having google on at my side all the time so it was it's kind of surreal thinking about it actually now but i i lived through icq aol instant messenger and all the pre-facebook stuff so yeah i i'm i'm right behind you i i had my first smartphone in college uh but i i, I bought my first laptop my my senior year of high school so I'm 31. Uh, I was born in 1990, and um, and yeah, there again, there was a a marker before and after the internet. Um, you know, teaching in in university, being around university students, I often wonder how much of like I thought about this during my dissertation. The same idea of like the scope of your research is so much wider now because you have infinite, in theory, infinite information, and that's really intimidating and daunting, and can also become a sort of monster. Uh, I, I often wonder what college would have been like without the internet, where we had to like do research through books and libraries almost exclusively, and how that limited scope of information could p potentially create a much richer experience. Um, now it's like, it, 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 because we can know everything all the time, everywhere, like there's no sense of like, harnessing a knowledge you know uh and yeah. that sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that is that is definitely true and uh by the way belated congratulations on the dissertation being done done right i know yeah. it's been a while but i remember even the last time we talked it was it wasn't done at that time and i remember you being very different at least how you presented yourself online being very different in 2021 versus now so maybe maybe tell me a bit about like what it's been like to to get to to comp have completed that and you know life after the dissertation yeah it feels super good i knew for sure that there was no way i wouldn't do it like i wouldn't finish i know that some folks uh even my close friend in the department kind of uh hit a wall and just couldn't get through it and uh, i know that happens to a lot of folks at the phd level um but there's something about my resolve i just knew for sure i would do it and i would finish no matter what finishing felt really good I didn't get to really celebrate because there was so much chaos last summer while I was finishing the dissertation. We had to move, we had to go to weddings, we had to like do a bunch of stuff. Um, so there was no like sense of like release and cathartic like celebration um, until basically probably November. So there was like a three month lag between finishing and then uh, and then celebrating like the accomplishment. Um, but for stuff like this, this goes for like maybe even getting married, just big life events. They have like a, they have almost like a a tail end gradient at the end of them. There's no sense of like, 
boom. And then the next day you feel a hundred percent different. It's like the event happens and then it takes a long time to like, you know, fade out. It's almost like it has a really long reverb tail. Right. So, so I'm still kind of writing that actually, like I watched my, a good friend of my, uh, mine who started the program with me. Um, she defended her dissertation like two weeks ago and it, it was, it felt like a little bit of a blast from the past. Um, but at the same time, I've, I'm <clears throat> only now feeling like I've earned it. That was another weird kind of side effect that I didn't expect from finishing. Like I didn't feel like the day before my dissertation was submitted, I was a grad student and the day after I was at, I was a PhD, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've grown up into that role over the past year in my independent study projects and being away from academia. Um, but it feels like I, like even an accomplishment I'm still like maturing with. Um, right. yeah, it, it's, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it, there's no like before and after like there was with the internet. It was like, this has become a part of me in a sense. And I could always go back to that space if I want to, but largely speaking, everything I've done in my creative work for Ristic studies goes back to like all the stuff I did in grad school. Um, even this upcoming video on Nuka Penna is like heavily inspired by all the stuff I looked at in, in, uh, in the PhD. So, um, I think it's true what they say that like, it's a life accomplishment that like follows you for life. And, um, yeah, I'm still sort of celebrating it. Uh, it still feels good. It feels really cool that I got to like seamlessly transition into full-time creative work without any hiccups. Um, but I definitely miss being part of the university system. I do miss teaching. Um, I don't really miss the stresses of academia per se. Um, but you know, I still have a really good friend in the department who is writing right now. And, um, I'm excited to help him finish as well. Cause again, that's, I know people get stuck. So that's great. That that was exactly was that exactly was going to be my next question is do you miss it? So it sounds like you have mixed feelings about it. Like you probably wouldn't want to go back and go through the stresses, but in some ways it also there's all that was also a big part of you, right? Just kind of what you lived through. Yeah, and and then also still living here, uh kind of around the university. I go to the university quite often because I still like exercise at that gym. So it is a bit of living in the memories of that still. Uh, I think it would feel different if I moved away from Austin. Um, but for now, I, I still feel like I have an affinity with that uh, those six years of my life. And um, I'm definitely ha happy that it is complete because it was it was a huge, like a huge, like not weighing on me, but it was a huge... Uh, cloud always around me the dissertation right. especially you know um but uh but yeah like i might um i might go back for now I, I really don't have any plans to um but i but i would love to find kind of an alternate way to still like be in that space um productively and also in a healthy way so um we'll see what that entails but for now i'm 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 very happy it's uh it's complete i don't like saying it's over like i i don't think it's like super happy it's done it's more of like I feel like it's complete and that's a difference for me. It's complete. Okay. Uh, don't want to put too much of a finality to it, right. I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or, or like with a negative connotation, because some folks right. are like, I'm so happy it's over. It's like, I'm not happy it's over. I'm happy I finished and I did what I wanted to do uh -huh. and that I set out to do. But, um, but, but also a on a macro feeling. level, it's kind of hard to say like, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad it's over because 
you put yourself through it, right? Like you made a conscious choice. Like I want to get a PhD. So it's, I, did you, did you feel like you knew what you were getting into when you started that journey? I will say no, and that's why I did it. That's my favorite thing ever is not really knowing what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> that's how uh, it works, right, in the world, I guess. <laughs> I, I think that's the best part. Like, it goes back to that old, like, riddle or conundrum, like the Sphinx's riddle of, like, would you like to see the rest of your life? Would you like to have high-definition imagery of what is going to happen to you? It's like never. I would never want that. So I'm mm. usually attracted to, in general, I'm I'm attracted to, uh, this goes for running, this goes for the videos, this goes for pursuits of mine. Like recently I've gotten into chess, like playing the guitar. I love stuff that takes a really long time to do and that I don't know what the end looks like. I will sign up for anything if you can promise me those two qualities. And usually the inverse is also like true. Like I'm not that interested if I can see the end of it before I start. So the PhD for me felt awesome because it was like, okay, six years from now, you're going to have a PhD and you have no idea how you're going to get there. But if, as long as you stay in the system, as long as you keep showing up and do what they ask you to do and what they want you to do, you will get there. Um, so I found that really thrilling and energizing at the very beginning. Right. Um, and then kind of similarly, like when we spoke last year, I saw the end of it. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'm done with this. It's time to go to the next thing that I can't see the end of, you know? So, yeah. I'm wondering if you have thought about applying that type of thrill to your creative projects going forward. For example, a YouTube video, no matter how elaborate it is, once you create it, it you might have agonized over it for months or weeks, right? But as we said, once it's done, it's done. Have you thought about maybe <laughs> almost like killing yourself more and just trying to, I don't know, do a movie or do do something even longer that's even more epic so that you 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 have the same sort of challenges, you know? 150% for sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I told this to my girlfriend like last October. I was like, Katie, I, I want to write a book. And she's like, you're not allowed to write a book for at least a year. I watched you go through the dissertation. Don't you even start thinking about that. You yeah, know? yeah. But a book has always been on my radar, uh, like similar, like a, f a feature length sort of documentary, a bigger project that involves more pieces than just myself. Always mm -hmm. are those monster like white whale projects. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I would sign up for that tomorrow if I had a, a, a good like a, a landing spot for that for sure. And that's kind of the there is a sense of boredom with this format that I'm doing right now with Rhystic mm -hmm. Studies. Like I do love the process and the cycle like the one month kind of production cycle i'm on but i'm always thinking about like what if what if this was a year long instead and the yeah. result was like a feature length bigger production like yeah definitely. what if i could agonize myself even more right exactly yeah what if this torture didn't last four weeks it lasted you know five six months <laughs> a year two years like yeah it's you know you're an artist you have to suffer it's part of the part of the deal that's, right that's that's a hundred percent if i'm not suffering then it's not worth it that's for sure what would you write a book about would you would it be nonfiction, fiction or i think i really love uh essays in general i know i do like a video essay type thing but I find myself drawn to, as the older I get, to um, surprisingly away from creative fiction and more towards the essay think pieces or even like the middle ground of my videos. I like to think of them more as, you know, stories that have a sense of op-ed, like 
tone to them because they're not so explicitly a documentary and they're not so explicitly like analysis. There's like this element of like my own experience. Yes. So those kinds of essays I love reading. So it's always like you you end up making what you want to see and what you are inspired by. Um, so, so even just like contemplative, like fun op-ed type essays would be, would be maybe the place where I start. Um, and maybe that blossoms into fiction or maybe that takes a more academic turn toward, you know, again, the more like rigid essay format, but at the very least, like, um, you know, I wrote a blog through high school and college and a lot of folks loved reading that. And I felt, you know, probably the same way you do with your newsletter, there's, there's something cathartic about sharing your experience and mixing that in with um, the ideas that you have and that you see and that you consume. Um, that format is really is really satisfying to to write. So, I think your creative work might be more satisfying than mine because I've found myself enjoying this a ton, which is interviewing people and just trying to figure out how they think and how they view the world, which is absolutely fun, right? So I'm not putting anything i'm not putting any negative connotations on that but i think for the interview stuff to work it's fundamentally about the guest and it's designed that way and i love it but i do the the writing stuff more like almost like an outlet it's like the newsletter stuff i i don't even think i'm writing it for someone half the time it's more just like i need to get this off my chest i need to have a discipline to write weekly which is why it's a weekly newsletter even if I don't feel like it, I feel like I need to put something out there, which is in a way very narcissistic, right? I mean, it's just part of the, it's part of my ego maybe. But I think what what's really good about your stuff is that you can put a lot of your personal identity in the work. For example, one of the videos that I watched this year that from you, from you that I enjoyed the most was when you talked about beat up magic cards and how beautiful it was and how the beautiful part was the video itself, sure. But it was also just like the universality of that and having people engage and react and just be like, yep, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. You know, whether it's like red deck wins, I want to, I also want to play a red deck or there's a beat up magic card. I also think that's beautiful. And the, you know, the, the, the guest spot by, by DJ, which, uh, whom I know it's, it's absolutely great. I, I love that you built that into it. So it's like, it's about you, but it's also about other people. There's this kind of universality that I, that I think I'm almost envious of you being able to do that because I don't think a lot of creators, again, to use this term content creators, like they're not able to do that because it's a lot of the time it's just like, let's talk, let's talk about strategy or let's play, let's play magic. But there's something almost like transcendent about what you do, right? I don't think there's a question here. It's more just like an observation, you know? Well, I, I really, I, I feel really honored that I, and, and I wield this sort of responsibility now. I think about that sentiment every single day. Um, my, one of my favorite magic writers and writers in general is Rob Bachman, who is still criminally underrated, underappreciated. I always, if I ever get a chance to stand on a podium, I'm always yelling Rob Bachman's name out. Um, Rob, Rob texted me like probably eight months ago and he said that what he found most rewarding about my work is that it felt like an extension of, or, or capturing the greater sentiment of magic players or magic in general. And that is like the biggest compliment I've ever received ever because I kind of work in isolation. I'm doing my own thing and I'm observant because all writers are, but, uh, but ultimately like I feel my, my, I feel best when I'm not 
just kind of like exerting my perspective onto the world. But when what I feel is shared by a lot of others and I can right. give shape and voice to that, that's like, you can't ask for anything more if you're ever making anything. Like that's why when you walk away from a movie or a book or a song, you feel like you feel so validated and seen and and like empowered because there's someone else on the planet that is like that that captured that thing for you, right? That's like what mm -hmm. draws you to art in the first place. Is like, oh, this speaks to me. I don't even know why or how or what it is in this, but it speaks to me so much that I could never make it for myself, but I'm glad someone else made it. Mm -hmm. So like if I get that from the stuff that I do, then that's, that's, yeah, that's like the best feeling and, and compliment and power. So I'm always thinking about that when I make something, I'm like, is this for me or is this through me? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> if we can, you know, yeah. Like, are you a vessel, right? It's right. like, are you channeling it? I, yeah. I do wonder too about this is that if you find that lightning in the bottle, which I think you did with that specific video, or even Red Deck Wins or something that's like very universally relatable. Do you feel compelled to go lean harder into that as Ristic studies? Because like you've done lots of things. You've done like artist studies. You've done, you know, the thing on frames. You've done like, you know, exploration of the world. They appeal to different people, honestly. So you know as a creator that there are certain things that hit harder. So are you trying to lean harder into that? Because as you said, you're always thinking about it. Or are you also thinking like, there's some sort of almost like artistic integrity in, in having a range. So I, I wonder how you think about that. Yeah, I think it could be easy to like, it's similar to, we go back to the band analogy all the time. Uh, if you write a hit and the audience loves the hit, you have the choice in the road of like, do I make more songs that sound like this? Or do I keep doing that thing that really, you know, produced the hit in the first place? And that's where I think a lot of folks go wrong in all creative work is that they want to keep satisfying the audience. It's why like one of my favorite bands keeps playing the song that they that put them on the map 15 years ago, 20 years ago at every show and I'm like, "What are you guys doing? Why are you playing that song still?" Like, yeah. stop that. You But are, it's what you, the people want, right? <laughs> yeah, but that I hate that. Don't give them what they want. Give them something that they didn't know they wanted. And that's a different thing, too. So like I am I champion the last two videos, I think they were a lightning in the bottle and they were um, less research intensive and more sort of, you know, sentimental in a sense. Uh, but, but the next video I'm doing is really way, it's like, if that was the heart speaking, the next one's the mind speaking. It's very academic. It's very like critical. It's not at all like the last two. And I wanted to make a concert, like a concerted effort to, to stay true to what I felt was important. And again, being a fan of like creative work, I'm always, I'm always happiest when I'm surprised and challenged by new ideas rather than like the fan service stuff I, I find boring. It could be fun at, at, at the front and then it gets really boring or it gets really not disrespectful, but I feel like I came to you all to challenge me, not to like, you know, if, if I want to be like happy yeah. without bounds, I'll go eat a cookie. But like right. I come to your music because it like changes the way I f think about the yeah. world, right? Yeah. So it's like so that classic line from Gladiator, you know, are you not entertained? This is not why you <laughs> yeah. were here, right? I, my favorite thing ever is is when I listen to a song and I think, oh God, that song is horrible. It's it's tremendous. And then I listen to it the tenth time and I'm like, this is marvelous and this is a masterpiece, and I'm mm -hmm. so glad it grew on me. So mm -hmm. if I so if I can ever do something that it at the front is really grating or bad or somebody dismisses and then comes back to three years later and says, oh, 
I see what you were doing here. That is like, <laughs> that is way better to me than an instant classic or whatever, you know? Okay. It, it's much better than the instant gratification. Like it's almost like the audience has to kind of work for it, right? They have, yes. to, they have to dig, they have to dig for it. Yeah. Just a little bit. I've, I've always appreciated. That's what I'm always looking for in art. Well, not always, but you know, most of the time, if I go see a movie or if I listen to music or if I look at paintings or read a book, like I want it to push back and challenge me. Um, so I, so I'd love to make something that does that, uh, knowing, knowing there is a formula I could theoretically follow to just deliver on that, like, uh, you know, that's that pop song that is a perfect radio single, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So is, is there one of your videos that you would put in that category, like kind of underappreciated, but maybe in, in retrospect over time, it started to get more traction. And sometimes it, it might even just be things outside of your control. It might be like something happened in Magic the Gathering or something like, is there, are there specific uh, instances that you might, you might highlight? Maybe, um, maybe sometimes with my artist series, I, I sing the song that uh, of a, of an artist that I believe is really, really powerful and really strong and worthy of attention. And they never, those either that video didn't catch on, or it's not one that folks remember. This was years ago when I was still doing that series. Um, yeah, like one, one of those, uh, there are certain videos that I was really proud of and I was stoked about that, uh, didn't have like the traction or the trajectory of the views or whatever, uh, as some of the others. And I know that's a bit of a lottery. Like you never know actually how well a video will do, but, um, as long as it's those, it's those, like, <laughs> I always talk about music with you. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's like you listen to that album and you see the pop singles and then you see those like deep cuts, those deep cuts, yeah. that, like the fans the B sides love. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The B sides. Oh yeah. That's where like the super nerds are living and they're like, this is a criminally underrated song by Coheed. This is another mm -hmm. criminally underrated song. Right. Um, I love some of my videos for, because they have that essence. And, mm. um, those are usually the ones that I'm not pushing too hard. Uh, they're there if you want it. They're there if you like really love the channel and love my stuff and just want to watch everything I've done. Um, but, but I know they're never going to be the biggest popular, you know, gigantic singles or, 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 or works. Yeah. Hey, Sam, I'm going to, uh, just stay on here. Keep the recording on. I'm going to, I'm going to move to a, a new spot. I'll, I'll, okay. uh, all right. Hey, I'm back. Can you still hear me? Cool. Yes. Yes. We're all good. All right. I am now in the, this is, I've never done this before. Now I'm now in the bathroom. So, uh, <laughs> it's the first time for everything. This is lovely. Where, the first, are you? This where, where, where in the world are you? I didn't ask, but I'm, I'm actually outside Shanghai. So, okay. um, Shanghai has been going through this, uh, crazy lockdown where we, for two, three months, we've not been able to really leave our homes or in a very limited capacity. And, uh, what has happened is uh, it's been lifted, but it's just, we've had that, uh, my wife and I have that two or three months of just living kind of trapped in a way, feeling trapped. And we just decided, yeah, we're going to go to a city nearby and we're just kind of hanging out here in the hotel. We This is like the second week. Uh, we're probably going to go back to Shanghai soon, but it's just nice to feel free for a while, you know? Oh, 100%. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I read your lockdown newsletter and I felt so like in tune with it. It's, it feels so strange to speak with you because I'm on the other side in a country that has not cared at all since the beginning, you know? 
Um, but I, I felt very much the same way for the first six months here. And, um, there is, there is value in, in, we do staycations all the time here. We'll, we'll rent a room downtown three miles away from our home just for that same feeling. And it's really important. It's so good for the soul. So I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're out, but in, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I, I'm feeling much better now. Uh, thank you for, um, you know, relating to that. And I, Honestly speaking, doing the podcast has helped a lot too. Uh, I've Good. actually gone harder on humans and magic since being locked down two, three months ago. And it's really helped like just talking to people and just <laughs> being terminally online, but hopefully in a good way. So that's been really good. Yeah. We have to have a new like adverb there instead of terminally. It has to be like uh, satisfyingly online or something. Satisfyingly <laughs> online. I love that. I love that. We'll have to we have to create the new paradigm of, of that. Yeah, yeah we cause... do. Yes. <laughs> okay. So uh, sorry. There was a there was a there was a shift here in my location, and I I'm I'm so sorry. I lost my train of thought. Let me let me try to. Um... Ah uh, yes, yes. It was about you know doing things like the artist series, and so and also they're doing things that you didn't think would, you thought would hit, but maybe didn't have the same, because that's just the randomness of creating something, right? You just don't know how it's going to land, and uh, sometimes you're you don't have expectations and it hits really hard. Sometimes you have expectations, it doesn't hit hard. So I've also just noticed though that this year like something has happened to you in your content it feels like it's just <laughs> i don't want to say i've been watching your stuff for a while but it just feels better it just feels like it's more appealing maybe it's the mass appeal part of it it's just there's something so as a creator as as a person building this stuff do you feel that as well uh, thank you. I'm glad that you feel that way. I'm always trying to get better. It'd be way worse if I went full time and it and it got worse, you know. <laughs> um, well, at least at the very least, I, I'm. I feel like the best part of finishing, kind of going back to finishing the dissertation, was that I could concentrate on one big thing at, at a time now. Um, so so that allowed me to sort of answer this question which i've had for six years of like what would my videos and my creative work look like if i could just do that instead of also having to live another life i was living a double life for a long time um so i went really i mean the same way you've been going hard on humans of magic in 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 lockdown like i've gone super 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 hard on touristic studies building it as a business and a brand but also just like at the end of the day i have to make really really good videos you know like i have to like the creative stuff has to be top priority and top quality and it has to keep getting better um i i don't know if i have enough separation from my stuff right now or even in the past year to understand if there's been a quality jump or if it's like if if stuff is hitting on all axes or 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 whatever um but at the moment um if I think back a year from now and I look back to that call time video, um, and I, and I've, and I've been thinking about this cause I'll, I'll hit my one year full-time mark pretty soon. Uh, I think for sure that at the very least I feel happiest because I've moved away from relying on visual gimmicks to make the videos good and strengthening the writing. And at the end of the day, like to me, the videos are only as good as the writing, my videos at least. Uh, the visual flares are, are whatever. Some folks probably don't even watch the video, they just listen. 
And as long as the writing is as good as it can get, then that's to me the the core and the meat and bones, the the, the potatoes and of 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 the product. So um, at the very least, I've concentrated much more on that uh, than the visual stuff. I think that's it. I think that's really, if I can pinpoint it, it's the writing. How did you get? I mean, it's not just going full time. Like, how did you get become better as a writer? It's my, it's always been my favorite, my absolute favorite, uh, like creative work. I mean, that's what the dissertation was even before, like I was talking about that blog. I've always wanted to be a writer. Like I've just always loved writing. Writing is my favorite, like to that little platitude I send out into the Twitterverse sometimes is like to write is to understand. Uh, maybe that's this, the feeling that you get from your newsletter. It's the feeling I've always had. I just know that when I write, I understand. So, um, so I've always like wanted writing to be really good. Thinking about again, kind of a book, like a potential book at the end of the day, especially if you do a traditional book, like it's all about the writing. That's all you got. You, you can have a fancy cover and some nice pages, but, but the writing is the bare bones ideas and the presentation of all of it has to come down to how well you can structure that piece so um so yeah i've just i love writing i just love writing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah the book would be like a it's stripped down right it would be like the acoustic set it would there's no there's no there's no um there's no crutch like there's no visual not you cannot hide behind distortion and delay and reverb (laughs) you can't and (laughs) auto-tune and auto-tune you can't and it goes back to like one of my favorite bands coed and cambria claudia was like when we were young when my dad was young, if you were going to be a good band, you had to be really good live. Like there mm-hmm. was no other way. You just had to be a really good performer and you had to be an expert, your music and your craft. And like, I've always carried that with me too. Like strip everything down. I hope the writing's good. You know, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. add the, like, I can add all the effects and stuff and make it pretty and like distract you with the gimmicks. But at the end of the day, make that script the best it can be. That's it. I'm also wondering if you've made sort of environmental or lifestyle changes to make the writing better. You know, I guess one aspect of me seeing the quality of the writing go up as just me personally is just probably you just putting more time into it because your headspace is not on the dissertation and things like that. But I'm wondering if you also, have you also done things in your environment or in your routines to also make that better somehow? I think it all it all adds up, right? Yeah, I think uh, t- two elements that for sure help. One is uh, something I say often too, which is deadlines or lifelines. I love being on a clock. I think when I'm a little bit pressured, that's when I do my best work. So having an artificial or a legitimate clock to motivate me is really compelling. Um, And I sort of mirror my girlfriend. She works from home, so we share a workspace, which has been very challenging. And as a result, I've had to get creative with how and where I work. Um, at the very least I can tell you, I love to write in the morning. I'm, I'm really useless after about 2 PM. Uh, so waking up early and just getting to the writing or the research is, is fundamental getting to coffee shops to have that sort of, uh, you know, that trick of like, I'm away from home and I'm working, um, playing to your strengths always are are what matters. Even just a tiny detail of like, I'll tell you, here's a little insight of something I'm always thinking about. I want my script to be like a, a a Highlander deck in that I want every word to appear only once. 
So that's something even at a technical level that I pay attention to all the time. Um, if, if I find I'm using a word twice or three times, I'll find a synonym or a new way to phrase it. And I think that can flourish up the writing uh, just enough. But over the course of a 30-minute narration really, really makes it better. So um, again, this and ultimately because I'm writing every single month instead of once every six months, you're going to get better, right? Like you just, I'm just doing it so much now, which I think helps. Absolutely. Okay. I have a bit of an inside baseball question for you. So as a writer, we know that we can be our own worst critic. Like, you know, you write something and then it, you sit on it. And then you go back and revise it. You do things like the Highlander where you make sure the word doesn't appear again. You even do things like read it out loud, right? Because I, as a writer, I've started to do that a bit more uh, as I get older. It's just like read it out because sometimes it just sounds very, very clumsy when you read it out loud and you can kind of catch a lot of things that way. But I'm also wondering if in the process of you then combining the audio with the visuals, do you do a lot of reworking of what your script is or is it pretty much locked down by that point well i have to i have to always uh say out loud what i'm writing because i know i'm gonna have to narrate it so it has to sound good narrated so at the very least there's no such thing as writing without a voice in my in this current thing i'm doing now so um so i'm always saying how it would potentially sound um josh lee Kwai, going back to josh like a month ago tweeted out a kind of thread about how like, if you really want to take this seriously, work on your performative skills. When I sit and narrate a, a video, it is like, it's it's a performance. Uh, certain, certain sentences sound way different if you read them with just a slightly different intonation. So I'm always thinking about the performance element, you know? Um, and it has to sound good. Sometimes I'll shift words because they don't pronounce well. They might read really well, but then I go to pronounce them and you know, like bilabial consonants collide with another bilabial or an N and a T gets yeah. transferred in a bad way. You know, all yeah. those logistics really matter. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, if you think I, I, I am just, here's another th phrase I always say, like how you do anything is how you do everything. Like I'm super critical and really I pay attention to the details in everything I do, including writing and maybe too meticulously mm -hmm. uh i i look at my own stuff so so yeah there's all those tricks but um but yeah the, the, it has to be it has to be it has to be able to be read well and it has to flow um and and i'm always doing that while i'm writing so that so i have to actually be alone when i'm writing because i'm talking out loud all the time right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you might we might look like a bit of a crazy person or crazy people when we're doing that because yeah it's just like you know cue montage of jay-z working on his album you know locked when he locked himself in the room and all that stuff so yeah oh yeah i i that stuff is my favorite i love getting peeks behind the curtain like that like th i've always loved that it goes back to when i was in fifth grade i brought the wizard of oz to my after school program because we, they were like, here, you can bring a movie. And I brought The Wizard of Oz and I fast forwarded to the end of The Wizard of Oz just to watch the making of documentary. And like 10 minutes in, like everyone was looking around like, what are we watching? Like, what is this? Uh, and I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the best part. Look, we get to see how the movie's made. And they're like, yep. we wanted to watch The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that might be a similarity we both share. It's like, I always love like figuring out how things are made. Sometimes more, it's more interesting to me than the actual thing itself. 
this is this is actually why I do things like follow sports or watch like music documentaries because I I, I care more about the chaos that goes into how it's made and sometimes it's just held together with duct tape but I think that's more fascinating to see the the imperfections right oh yeah oh yeah oh I yeah you have an affinity with me there I've always I mean what I do for risk studies is is like that I concentrate on that kind of stuff rather than the the product in a sense but I'm always wondering how it got there in the first place right the question here though is do you worry about losing a bit of the mystique right because um you know you're you're pretty big time on on patreon you you have a podcast in there you you talk to your your fans or patrons like even breaking the fourth wall doing this podcast if someone listens to it they'll get a more knowledge or insight into your your process and who you are do you worry about that sort of loss of mystique and getting too close to your audience i do i i think about that all the time certain um certain creatives that I admire are as, as like off the radar as you can be in the 21st century. Um, We know very little about them. They're nowhere on social media. They just show up when they make their stuff and then they disappear. I love people like that. I admire them. I wish I could be like that. Um, But at the same time, what I've always found and probably what you find in your podcast is like the human connection element is really way more motivating than like maintaining this aura of like mystery and as like the you know the 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 hermit that's that that sits in his cave and makes cool stuff like when i go to a convention and someone shows up and they recognize my face like and they want to talk to me about stuff that's those moments are way more valuable than maintaining any sort of like ooh i wonder what how do they how <laughs> you know it, like that that i i mean this yeah. this ultimately goes back to the format like some folks decide to never do a face reveal for example even the concept of a face reveal it is very indicative of the ecosystem we're living in mm-hmm. that you can choose to be anonymous online you can choose mm-hmm. to be completely divorced from your your creative work uh i i think about that all the time i'm like one i wonder if how this would all feel and look if people didn't know who i was right mm-hmm. And this yep. is my girlfriend. You can say hi. hi. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm back. Thank you. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah. So, so the answer is like, I would much. I just started a Discord recently because I want to get closer to those people that support me. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's like that's the very least I could do. Is yeah. is is it's kind is of a no brainer, right? Folks. Just connection. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I crave it. I crave it the same way you do because I work by myself all the time. It's like who. Y'all are just views and view counts, but I want to know like what you're all about. You know, I have a very high level concept for a video project I'd love to do one day um, where I flip the script and I say, you all know a lot about me. I don't know who you are all, you know, Mm. Um, and I don't know how it framed that exactly. But here's a little insight. Here's a here's something I think about all the time. When someone new follows me on Twitter, I love reading their bio. Because sometimes you get bios that are laugh out loud hilarious. People get really quippy and creative when those with those just a little amount of of, of information. But it but that's all I get. That's all I know of the people that follow me is just those like three lines of text. And sometimes right. it's very straightforward, like, hey, I work here and I like this. And other times it's like my grandma was held hostage with a kitchen knife. And you're like, who is this person following me? <laughs> like, what? why is that what you chose to say, you know? Right, right. Um, and the anyway, avatar yeah. choices are also interesting too. Sometimes. Oh yeah, it's so it's so much fun. Just like, just going yeah. through my Twitter followers, like who are these people? 
it just shows that people from all walks of life can enjoy your stuff. And uh, I also mentioned the podcast because uh, full disclosure, I haven't listened to your podcast because they're there for, for your patrons, but that's interesting. Cause you mentioned the writing is like just the words, the, the video it's the, it's the music, it's the visuals. It's also the words, but the podcast is just, just the words or just the, mm-hmm. just you reading or not reading, but you saying words. So how, how has that felt for you? What's that process been like? The, the podcast is, is really satisfying because it's not scripted and I have bullet points of what I want to touch on. And it's another outlet for me because my, because my stuff is so like manicured, it helps me fill in the gaps of the stuff I had to cut or didn't mm-hmm. make the video. So sometimes it's just insights on stuff I wanted to elaborate about that I didn't get a, a space or a chance to in the video. Mm-hmm. So it's satisfying in that way. But it's also like really fun to just jump on the mic and um, and and kind of speak in a freeform way. It's the yin to the yang of the videos. So uh, I found it really enjoyable. It is a lot of work. Like podcasts are very very you know labor intensive, just as much as any of the other projects are. Um, but at the very least, I've been enjoying. Uh, doing like 50 minutes of, of monologue, you know, and then, um, just releasing that to the folks who want to listen to it. And it, I don't care if they listen to it or not. Like I, it, that's fine. You know, it, some mm. people, I understand people are busy. People have a bunch of stuff to listen to, watch everything. Yeah. Um, I don't care. That's fine. I just do it because I have to do it. And if it's there, if you want it, and I hope it's good enough. And when people choose to listen to all the better, you know? Yeah. Monologues are scary, man. Like I, I've never, okay. I shouldn't say never. I I tried to do five to 10 minute monologues in the past before doing the actual episode or getting into it. And I find that to be like rather scary because there's no interaction with someone to hide behind. And it's just you. It's basically like a form of stand up, right? It's just like, you're, you're really being judged on, on what you're saying and putting yourself out there. And to do it for 50 minutes, that's that's like, yeah, I, I can I can understand that. That's like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of, <laughs> like, aren't you afraid of that? Or I, I think it gives my girlfriend a break from my own monologues with her. <laughs> at the very <laughs> okay. least. Okay. I think my girlfriend's my biggest pe- fan of my podcast because at least I'm not talking at her for 50 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a good time. It's really, uh, what I've discovered is that I have so much to say, surprisingly. Not surprisingly, surprising that I could go 50 minutes without even taking a breath. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah, it's a skill I didn't know I had until I started doing the podcast, but, um, but it's also something I'm trying to like, kind of reel in because I know that can be not just overwhelming, but also too much. You like chill out, you know, like not everything has to be explained to the nth degree. Some yeah. folks just like, if you say that this thing is red because it's, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor of human passion and that's it. You don't have to tell me that it came from, you know, Debussy's yeah. Claire de Lune 50. It, it's ago. like a version of never meet your heroes. Maybe not so, again, maybe that's a negative thing to say, but you can just enjoy things sometimes by its own merit on the surface and not worry about how the mayonnaise is made or like how this guitar was made with, uh, I don't know, underneath a, a waterfall, like uh, with a, tr- I, I don't know, like just, just, <laughs> insert a uh, random story right like it's i don't of know course. it's 
yeah. I, I, that's the thing is I, very few things in my life I am able to enjoy at that level. And I wish I could enjoy more stuff at that level. Uh, the obsessive personality has me like deep diving on everything. And sometimes that can, that can be overwhelming for myself, you know? Sometimes you just listen to a good song and say, hey, that's a good song. Add it to the playlist. Let's keep moving, you know? <laughs> Other times you want to get the, uh, uh, the making of or the, correct. the, the whole, the whole story. Yes. Correct. Yes. Correct. You're like, what tube amp was Jimi Hendrix using when he recorded Little Wing? Like, why don't I know that? I need to know that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's where Google comes to the rescue. But, right. uh, yeah. I, so which of your monologues would you say is your favorite? Uh, I've only had six. I, I do one a month similar to they're, they're sort of like after I do a video, I see some comments and I can riff on those comments or one recently I was just talking about how much I loved playing Elden Ring. Um, and that was me also like trying to understand in real time why I was enjoying that game instead mm -hmm. of sitting down and writing about it. I was like, well, I'll just go on the podcast and talk about why I'm loving playing this game. Um, so, so that was fun. Um, but you know, the next one, like I said, the video, the next video is going to be very academic. I know the next podcast that'll accompany that will be very academic as well. Yeah. Cause I'll be speaking. Cause that's your of, mind space. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, um, I don't have a favorite, like I said, it's such a low level project. I really don't even pay so much attention to it. And it's to me, just a perk for fo folks that want to, want to, want to hear a little bit more than what the video offers. That's awesome. I feel like now I need to become a patron and get access to the I'll send the podcast. it to you. Don't even pay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to, I want to do it. I want to earn it the honest way. So, um, that sounds $1, really cool. $1 a month, you know, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe this became a avatar, but I really am a fan of your work. I, I think it's, I think it's cool to explore different aspects of it. And I think that's what Patreon is good for is like, you can decide how deeply you want to engage with somebody on the internet. And I, I don't say that dismissively. I think it's actually a really good, a good thing. And I, I, and I think you've like, I see the cool, the cool stuff you have, you got the shirt, you've got the, the new logo, like you're, you're, you're quite intentional. And I, and I like, I like that aspect of it. Like there's no, there's, there should be no apologizing for that. I think it's just really good that you're, you're, you're committing more of yourself in it, you know? Yeah. And even better that this has become, I remember like I got on Patreon kind of early when the platform launched and a lot of folks were really resistant to the concept. I, I, uh, I feel really grateful that we've come around on the concept and, and are empowered by it from both the payer and the payee, um, that folks are choosing to sign up in theory, they never have to. And because that, because they do, it points to this, this real, this real phenomenon, which is like folks really value creative work and they'll go so far out of their way to make sure that that's rewarded when it's presented for free. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm really grateful that like that connection still exists in a, in a world where everything in theory could just be free. Um, again, kind of going back to my time in the university, like the, those kinds of programs are failing now because there's no monetary like value attached to being a writer, being a painter, being a whatever. But Patreon says, no, that's not true at all. In fact, creative people can thrive still because people really need it. They need it. It's not just that they want it and that they think it's fun and entertaining. It's like there, there's like a, a, a something in their soul that craves it and desperately needs it. And then then they want to go out and pay for it. 
I mean, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I will pay, I want to make sure my favorite artists keep making art. Like, and if I could give them 10 bucks for that, awesome. You know, mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think we like to, there's definitely a narrative like, okay, the internet has made things worse, but I think there's also a lot of it that is really good. And I think having this sort of creator economy, whether it's uh, Patreon or Bandcamp or gosh, I'm also, I'm also like going full bore with the music analogies today, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there that's, that's just really beneficial. And I think that's really, I think if you think of the internet as a, a way to build connections, I think that's, that's really it. Like it's not about, but it's just so hard because there's also just this sort of machine that you have to, you have to set boundaries on. And, and that's, that's kind of the exchange, right? Well, I, I'm I'm really glad that you are always going to champion the side that the internet is awesome because I agree the internet is amazing. The internet is 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 like mind meltingly cool. How, yeah. how how would you ever get online and say the internet sucks? Like, no, man, you suck. Sorry, <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, you should sucks? write a handwritten note that says the internet sucks and and take a photo with an analog camera and and. Uh, <laughs> And put it in your newspaper if you really feel that way, right? Correct. <laughs> the internet is so so powerful and amazing that the internet would reward you for saying that the internet sucks, you know. But yeah. anyway, the whole attitude against the internet is is that in the it's it's like so easy to be flippant and critical, but at the end of the day, I think it's like marvelous. Um, so I, I appreciate always that your tone has been like, thank God I can speak with my friends all the time and, and do interviews and podcasts and I can make videos and we can write and exchange ideas in real time. Like what, mm -hmm. what a phenomenal, miraculous invention that we're living with and we yeah. choose to like use it how, the way we use it. What a shame, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan for nostalgia. Like I just recently read Chuck Klosterman's book, the nineties, which is really just like talking about the nineties in hindsight from a political, social, pre-internet you get the idea. I mean, you're, you're born in 1990, but I think, I think you understand that it was a very transitional period, like yeah. not just in America, but just, just everything. Right. Yeah. A lot of things happened in the nineties and I am super like rose colored glasses kind of person. But having said that, I would not want to go back to the nineties. I would definitely right. not want that time machine. Right. I prefer 2022. Right. Yeah. I prefer, yeah, I, yeah. I like that YouTube exists. I, I don't like maybe that I spend eight hours a day on YouTube. Okay. That's an exaggeration, but you know, I, I, I have to, I have to control things, but I, I don't want to go back. You know, it's just sure. I like, I'll listen to the Backstreet Boys because <laughs> that was, that was during my high school or whatever, but I don't want to go back. It's weird to say that the internet is just not a good thing. So I, I don't know. I don't know what point I'm trying to make here, but I, I can't go back. I, I'm with you with the nostalgia train, but also never wanting to return. I, here's a quote for you that I love is, um, uh, I miss everything and regret nothing. <laughs> you know, I miss everything and I regret nothing. So that kind of, that's the idea. Like, oh, I love thinking yeah. backwards. I love looking at history. I love looking at uh, yearbooks yeah. and photo albums and, yeah. but no way would I ever go back. <laughs> but that is the really cool thing about <laughs> the nineties. If I can just harp on it for one second, like yeah. if you said that to me in the nineties, that quote, there would be no way for me to verify or find out who said it. I basically just have to take what you said at face value. You could have totally <laughs> lied to me and just invented that quote. You could have yeah. mis you could have misremembered that quote. And that was a period of time where like 
I couldn't fact check you, right? right? I have to go to the library and like find somebody that wrote this thing. And it's just wild because I still remember that period of time, but it's almost like that's actually a pretty, I would say if there's one good thing, it's kind of like that where you actually have to remember stuff and you actually have to use word of mouth to pass the lore. And I know that because you've done work on magic history in the 90s, you, you know that, right? So that itself is kind of cool. Just like the, the faultiness and frailty of human memory was actually a thing back then, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, the power of word of mouth made the stories better. That's why you have so many strong stories about magic in the 90s, because no one was there to to verify yeah. it. And it's become lore, like lore and with the capital L, like a fantasy world lore. Even the tweet I posted a couple of days ago about one of my all-time favorite stories in magic that came from Reddit with this guy who brought an EDH deck to the table. I won't spoil anything. You can find the tweets. Uh, yeah. I quote tweeted Jason Alt and Jason Alt um, asked, Twitter, he's like, what do you think is the funniest EDH deck you've ever seen? And I posted this story that I post probably once every year or two that I think is laugh out loud hilarious. And someone replied to me and was like, oh, that never happens. It wouldn't even be right. I doubt this ever occurred. I'm like, you, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is that it's a funny <laughs> story. Like it's a story and we can all champion that. Like that's the, that's the point, right? Right. It was similar to the Gonti deck, like DJ's Gonti deck. There's always going to be one guy that shows up and says, Oh, I can see the top card of your deck. Like you're you're playing mm -hmm. with marked cards, and I'm like, God, <laughs> this this like over over commitment to being so literal is what's mm -hmm. killing the spirit of the story. Like you know, uh, so so yeah, there is it. There is an element of like um, the story was better when you didn't have a Google you know fact check to like say, oh, actually no, you know, yeah. I was in you know Wisconsin during that time. Yeah, so. and there was a time in the world where you had to tell that story face to face. So it's like if if somebody was a party pooper and poo pooed your your story, they have to do that to your face. So it's probably harder in a social context. But now it's like. That's the flip side of the internet. It's kind of like, yeah, you could you could be the actually guy or the actually girl, right? And that right. <laughs> well, every like every old piece of Greek literature I've read is predicated on the idea of a bard, on the on the like skill of telling a story. And I've always loved my uncles because they've always been excellent storytellers. I've always admired mm -hmm. the way they can spin some yarn just out of nowhere. We could be sitting in a circle and like entertains as if we were watching god create earth because of mm -hmm. how good their stories were you know what i mean like that yeah. is so powerful and mystical and that's another element of you know is something that could have potentially been lost with with tech yeah. and with with the digital age but i love i love someone that can tell a story oh my gosh you have yeah. you have my attention my admiration my respect all of it yeah that's why that's why Rhystic studies is great because for that 10 minutes that 15 <laughs> 10 minutes solid you can be captivated by a story. And I think it's kind of like the world is so attention deficient now that you need it to make it 10. I know we talked about this last time, right? 100 hours into 10 minutes. You need to also have things like the visuals and the music, and you need to have a hook. You need to have a hook to get people in. But once they're in, they're in. They're in for the ride. They're, they're in until the, the closing credits. There's like a an absolutely beautiful thing about that, which is the more distracting the world is the more the the better if you can make people pay attention that's infinitely more rewarding than if the world if everybody was not distracted you know like obviously we can't like a b test or control for that there's no world in 2022 where youtube doesn't exist but i'm just saying there's something wonderful about 
about that, right? It's just be able to grab people. Yep. And being present again, as a viewer myself, as a fan myself, I'm always searching for that feeling when somebody can grab my attention and hold on to it and make me so excited to keep doing, engaging with their work. That is really special again, because the, because the pace of the world now is, is microseconds. So, um, so if I can ever provide that, that's, that's a kind of in line with some of the other, my favorite compliments I get from the channel is like, I, I didn't expect to watch this whole thing. But I, but I watched it the, like front to back and I have a hard time watching anything longer than three minutes. So like, that's awesome. That what a yeah. compliment, right? That's, that's transformative. So Sam to, uh, okay, let, let's do this. Cause, uh, I I've actually collected some of the questions. Uh, so this, we'll, we'll think of this as kind of a rapid fire round and I've curated it. So, you know, apologies if you ask the question and it's not there, but I think these are really, these are really good questions. So is, is it okay if we go through them? Oh yeah, and I'm gonna do my best to keep it nice and TikTok friendly. I'm just gonna <laughs> only like ten words or less in my response. <laughs> oh no, you can do more. Um, okay, so what do you want to be known for in terms of your legacy? Shout out to Mike who phrased it like, "If you were hit by a bus." <laughs> I took oh, that part geez. out, but yes, I, I am <laughs> glad you right. remember that part. Yeah. <laughs> That's Mike for it. He's always gonna put some spice. It's all about that flavor, that taste. Um, mm. Borthos Mike, yeah. If I if I could be known for anything, it's just like I, I really want to um I want to a motivating um ethos behind everything I do is trying to elevate the common perception of magic, both inside and out of magic, as as quote unquote a children's card game or just a game. I despise when people reduce what is going on with magic to just a game. And some folks, some of my critics will always say, like, oh, you're pontificating and you're you're why it's why would you make a 30 minute video about just a card? Like it's just a game. I that is like everything is just whatever it is, if you want to mm -hmm. look at it that way. So mm -hmm. if I were to ever be known for anything I would hope that like I could be I could help elevate magic to something that I believe it is and and make sure that it's always I just I just want to elevate magic, right? I just want to elevate all of this. That's what I want to do. So if I could do that in any sense in any way, uh if that could be part of my legacy, then I've succeeded. So my follow up to this would be Magic can be created, or let's say, a, let's just even say, like a hit single is created. It's three minutes. It's super infectious and catchy. Can one ascribe a deeper meaning to the thing than the creator of the thing intended it to be? I think absolutely, and I, I always will champion the, the response, the the one who can respond to the creative work and elevate it further. And that is always going to be part of like the back and forth paradox of like, how do you ascribe to the writer what you don't think the writer was intentional and, and wanted to, he, 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 the writer said that the door was green and you said it meant this, that, and that, and the other. And like, maybe the writer didn't mean that, you know, um, there's always going to be that attitude. But the point is, is like, it's, it's about creating value. It's about creating meaning and value. And that's really important for people that engage in creative work and find meaning in in creative work. So no matter what, 
the critics will always take that perspective and I will always counter and say, that doesn't matter. The point is, is that people need something more and they need to make sense of why they feel the way they feel about the stuff that, that, that speaks to them. Next question. What are some of your most notable ideas that you've scrapped for videos? Maybe they never saw the light of day. Maybe you worked on it like halfway, but you realized it couldn't quite work out in some, for some reasons. Like, are there any, are there any that come to mind? Yeah. Uh, like a year ago, I really wanted to do, I wanted to do more concept stuff like on creatures specifically. And one video I really wanted to do was on the Sphinx, like the Sphinx as a mythological creature and the concept of tying Sphinx, Sphinges or Sphinxes, whatever the plural is to riddles. I wanted to do a deep dive kind of tying it in with Egyptian mythology or or just like appearances of the figure of the Sphinx through all of human history because it's kind of a timeless, you know, entity um, and function in stories. Um, that's something I've always wanted to do because magic adapted the Sphinx as that exact archetype. That's exactly how all Sphinxes play in magic. And I think that's really cool that they keep with that tradition. And that's where I see magic as a literary as a literary project. It's more than just a game in that sense, because they're trying to interpret literature in the form of a game. I love that. So I've always thought that the Sphinx kind of was representative of this ongoing tradition of magic rewriting books. Um, so that's one I've, I haven't done. It's always on the back of my mind. Um, I have a list of like video ideas. Some stuff just comes and goes like, uh, in, in the same vein. Um, I wanted to do a video about mazes and, and actually just books in general in magic, how books are used, um, or, or mazes. I, I was on this big maze kick because I was reading a lot of critical essays on Calvino and mazes. And some of the, I mean, the, the archetype of the maze comes up in magic too. Um, those projects like have a hard time fitting or maybe don't have a, don't have that hook that I'm needing, but they're always dormant. Like the red deck wins video was like two years in the making because mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to do something with that feeling but I had to figure out how it would like coalesce and become a thing. Um, so I would say that there's no video that I've ever scrapped and said never. It's always just like not right now. Um, even last year, I wanted to do a video uh, where I interview people who have bought original magic art and ask them why specifically this painting means something to you. Um, and that was just flipping the script. Usually I'm the one saying that this painting is important. I want to see what people think is important and why would they invest 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10 grand into magic paintings? Um, so that, again, that's a project that's on the back burner. It's not gone. It's, it's, it's just dormant. So they're kind of in a holding area just in your mind until at some point in the future, they're ready to, to come out. There's no such thing as like a, a piece of information that goes unused. It's always there. And even the next video I'm doing on Nuka Peno, I'm drawing from stuff that I found like five years ago. Um, but I like to tuck it away because you never know when that'll be useful. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating because maybe not exactly the same, but I, I just think that way when I read books, it's like, you know, because when you get ideas from a book, you're then connecting it to another idea in the book because it serves to basically like reinforce or refine your worldview. So like your mental model of how you see the world is constantly being updated. So it sounds like 
at some point, like maybe there'll be some triggering moment where you read a comic book or like read an essay and it'll just be like, that's the piece that I need now for the Sphinx video. 100%. It'll be like that. It'll, it could just be that magic does a, does a Sphinx that, that finally becomes the hook, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's always going to be there. It just, it's just waiting for that exact, uh, that totem to, to chase or to like point at like, Hey, I've been thinking about this a long time and it finally happened. So let's talk about this thing. Mm. In the last 12 months, is there anything that comes to your mind in terms of being quote unquote, a failure? or something that didn't quite work the way you wanted it to be, if we want to use a lighter term than failure? Um, I feel like the last 12 months have been a, just a bunch of success and small, medium, large level successes. Um, I feel like the last 12 months have been a level up. And I spoke with like a creative coach recently, and he reminded me that when you grow it's important to have some plateaus like dangerous growth is, is exponential. Um, because that usually results in the flip side coming back down, you know, to follow like Newton's idea of gravity yeah. and such, or just right? winning the lottery or something. Yeah. Yeah. You never want to grow like that. You want to grow like a staircase. So I think the last 12 months have mostly just been that staircase and then a flat. And I'm loving this flat that I'm on right now, like rebranding, establishing myself full-time, getting some cool uh, projects coming down the pipeline, working with the IP closer, uh, doing work for higher stuff aside from Ristic Studies. That kind of stuff has been really successful. Um, I don't think anything per se has been a failure except for some of my tweets where I just still feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm slapping myself, but that's growth. You know, growth is painful. If you're not feeling pain, you're not growing. So um, luckily, I will say very luckily, nothing has fallen completely flat for me in the last few yeah. months. But I also think tweets are kind of a nice outlet because maybe it's better not to think of those as like hitting or not hitting. Because first of all, it's just a stranger deciding by some kind of algorithm or like that the thing works or not. Um, snide remarks are part of the platform. And in a way, it's very anti what you do in your videos because the videos are very well like arranged ahead of time and of course like we try to say things intentionally including tweets but you can't bat a thousand or be 100 percent in everything right so i know you're not asking for advice but i'm also thinking just saying to you like don't be so hard on yourself if something like that happens you know yeah yeah and that's fine um there there's it's meant to yeah, be more real time. So, so it's not, it's not like, it's not, we can't be perfect on the internet. It's just, yeah. it's just how it is. Right. Totally. Totally. And that I'll struggle with that. But for the most part, um, everything's gone pretty well to answer your question fully. Everything's gone really well. And that's also suspicious. You're always like, Oh gosh. So then what? <laughs> now I'm kind of nervous. When's the other shoe going to well. drop? Yeah. yeah. I, I know how wheel of fortune works. Like that's how this works. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I know we talked about this a bit, like, you know, the writing method, but is there any particular class or lesson that was a crucial building block in terms of how you write or in terms of how you speak? Like, um, you know, it's just, again, thinking about the Josh Lee Kwai tweet, it's like, you know, you should work on yourself. You should take some, some training. Like, was it the, was it grad school, the PhD, or was it other things that you, you worked on that helped? Uh, it was, it was grad school because I was always in contact, like, 
every semester we'd submit essays for the for our term the term papers and those would always come back with feedback and they were really constructive even at the mechanical level of writing i think often of professor guy rafa his comments to my dissertation were just like sometimes he would be the best voice in the room in reducing how verbose i get just like rewrite this sentence it's like 25 words too long it's like oh you're right thank you and i'm always trying to channel that i'm not successful often you know um, but, um, but the mechanical back and forth with professors was very influential to me, but it always goes back to like, um, my English teacher in high school who, who gave me a, a lot of space to, to write creatively on the side, um, and encouraged me to like really harness my voice. And that's what really kicked off the blog and then kicked off all the writing stuff I've ever done. Um, but like you said, our, our, our firmware is always updating, right? So um, sometimes my best writing lessons come from a, an author that I pick up and I read a book and I'm like, oh my God, I would love to write like this. This is phenomenal. Uh, mm -hmm. Going back to Rob Bachman, I would love to write like <laughs> Rob Bachman, right? What's your opinion on alters or altered magic cards? Is that something that you are a fan of, not a fan of? Like, what are your thoughts? Oh, I love it. I love it because I see myself so much in folks who alter magic cards. I love that there's like this natural progression of what it used to be back in the day, just extending the border, learning how to match colors and learning how to match textures. And then watching an artist find their own voice on an altar is so cool to me. Uh, I'll shout out two people in particular that I love, uh, folks that I found through Instagram, not Twitter. Uh, Legacy Alters is one of my favorites. Um, they do a more like sophisticated really intricate like shiny metallic uh additions and flourishes on magic cards and then my absolute favorite card alter again another criminally underrated creator in the space someone i want to do a video feature on real bad is called uh, that global forest guy on instagram i have no idea how they they create like five cards a day but more than that, more than just quantity, it's quality and it's voice. Like this, this person is an artist proper. They're not, they're not altering cards, like to make them look like the Lord of the Rings. They're they're making, they're they're like they're like making art on magic cards. So I'm all about altering. Yeah, super into it because I think it helps people like find their voice, which I love. That's. Yeah, there's there's definitely artistry in a lot of that. I, I fully agree. I also think there's just so many things like, you know, even in like there's a there's some really creative people who can build amazing commander decks. Like there's lots of like ways to express yourself creatively through magic and ma magic as just being a again like a vessel. It's 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 like these alter these these artists you speak of, they're they're going to do their thing even if magic doesn't exist. So, I I think it's um we we should be aware of that i guess I, I, i'm glad you shouted them out because i think um i think those types of artists are just amazing so oh yeah big time me too yeah okay what is your color identity now, obviously ristic studies okay that's that's a blue you know that's blue blue-ish card but how that this, this is almost like a faq by now but like what what's your color identity or like set of colors that you would identify with if sam was a magic card it's always, it probably goes back to blue red. That's what I started on with magic. Like when I started playing again, 10 years ago, 
Um, I think blue red is kind of a perfect combination of like the intellectual and the passion. Um, the red deck wins video really came out of just like this, this real sentiment I was feeling, especially still feeling this year is just like, you got to do it right now. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, you got to do it, go for it. Um, so I, I, I find that very powerful. I think red deck wins as a catchphrase and as a mantra is really powerful under the right framework. Um, so I, I, I appreciate red for that reason. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately you start flirting with other colors and other like, you know, wedges and shards and five colors and stuff, but ultimately it probably just goes back down to blue, red. Um, the nice mixture of the academic and the op-ed, I think I see in, in blue, red. <laughs> great. Great. So Sam, not that you really need, uh, you're better known than this podcast, but what, what's the best place for people to find you on the internet where you would like to be found on the internet? Yeah, yeah, always. I'm at Ristic Studies on Twitter, risticstudies.com, and uh, obviously the same thing on YouTube. It's pretty uniform across the branding, but um, I, I really appreciate being here, uh, being here, James. This is this is an honor for me, and I love talking to you. Like I said last time, I mean, talking with you is just is just a treat for me. So um, so thank you for having me on. Likewise, the pleasure is all mine. I'm really glad that my fears this morning were entirely unfounded. I just love having conversations like this. It's just, it really makes my day. So thank you for just helping make my day better as well. Cheers. I appreciate you, James. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic, and you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.